0: Hey everyone, Reese here, and uh, I'm just going to get right to it. Black Lives Matter. And out of respect of Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, and the countless other lives lost in America every year, we didn't drop an episode last week. Instead, we listened and amplified the voices of others, of friends like Sal Masakella and Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, and to new voices like Leah Thomas and, and more. It seemed every day there was a new, moving monologue, um, drop it on social media, and every day our hearts just got heavier and heavier. We channeled those feelings into paddle outs, um, like many others, and, and this was our statement after the first one. Last night, we joined our local community in a memorial paddle out for George Floyd at the historic Inkwell Beach. We chanted his name in the water. We reflected on his life and those of so many in this country, and around the world, lost at the hands of systemic racism and oppression. We stand in solidarity to proactively work against racism and fight for true equality on land as at sea. We stand by that statement. We're proud of the work that we've done to date, but we know we can do more and do better and do that as surfers, as environmentalists, and as everyday humans. I'm heartened by the turnout of the surf community at the paddle outs. Um, they've they've been around the globe. And seeing that kind of engagement was really awesome. Um, after all, that's what we do when we're troubled. We, we get in the water. But seeing everyone do that together was, was powerful. But please, take with you these feelings of anger, sadness, despair, frustration, as well as solidarity, momentum, and togetherness, and breathe them into your every day. Because the real work is ahead of us still. As Sal said at the Encinitas Paddle Out, I hope that you guys will be here tomorrow and the next day and the next day and continue to stand for this thing that we call unity and tell racism that it can go and kick rocks because that's not what surfing is about. I love that. Thanks, Sal. Finally, I'd be remiss to not mention two more things um, in the past week. One, Saturday, June 6th, was Nick Gabaldon Day. And if you don't know about Nick the first black surfer who famously hung out at the Inkwell Beach at Bay Street in Santa Monica, right by our headquarters, then you need to know his story. We're going to link to it in the show notes. And we're going to also link to a few great discussions that our friends at Heal the Bay um, had in honor of him. As many of us go on this journey of seeking out diverse voices uh, and trying to learn, I encourage you to tune into these. Secondly, Monday of this week was World Oceans Day. And between COVID-19 and the protests, World Oceans Day took a very different but important turn, more clearly highlighting the link between environmental issues and social justice issues. And Leah Thomas, who I mentioned before, said it really well. Social justice cannot wait. It is not an optional add-on to environmentalism. We agree entirely and we will continue to use this platform to illustrate this important truth. Okay. Now for this week's episode. This week, we learn how Costa Rica is leading on conservation, and we're very lucky to have with us two guests, championship tour surfer Brisa Hennessy and Carlos Manuel Rodriguez, who is the environment and energy minister for Costa Rica. Brisa, of course, is an incredible surfer, maybe a result of being born in Costa Rica and now splitting her time between Hawaii and Fiji these areas of the world just so happen to also be some of the most biodiverse and so we thought it'd be cool to chat with her about her experience living these places and you know see what questions she has for carlos around his work in costa rica where she was born i first met carlos last year at the united nations climate conference where the nrdc uh, worked with the ministry of belgium to bring together blue leaders and blue leaders are a group of heads of state and ministers advocating for the protection of 30 percent of the ocean by 2030. And the successful negotiation of a new high seas treaty. Anyway, we hit it off right away because Carlos is an avid surfer. He was just like, oh my God, we got to hang out and surf sometime when you come to Costa Rica. And what's really funny is that it also just so happens that he and Brisa already know each other. Super small world. So it made for a great conversation. Um, I'll admit Carlos's audio is a little tough to hear sometimes, but it's still probably more enjoyable than trying to teach your parents how to use FaceTime once again. Um, we recorded this a couple weeks ago, but um, we think it's an important one and it's relevant to our campaign for 30 by 30, where we're trying to equitably protect 30% of the planet by 2030. Um, all right, that was a long intro. Let's get into it with Brisa and Carlos. Oh
1: my gosh. Wow. Increíble. <laughs> ah, qué tiempo, Incre- verdad? <laughs> hace
2: muchos años, mucho tiempo. Años. ¿Cómo, está, ¿Cómo está Mike and Katie? ¿Cómo están ah. ellos?
1: Muy bien, pero estamos eh, extraño a Costa Rica y usted y y todo, pero necesito practicar mi español.
2: Bueno, venga a Costa Rica y eh, rápidamente vuelve a hablar español de manera muy fluida.
1: Ok, muchas gracias. Sí. (laughs)
0: same man i i i get like uh probably 50 percent of what you're all saying although it's the introductions are easy i can i can comprehend that much um but if you start going into deep surf talk in spanish i'll lose you so you you can keep all your surf spots secret from me i'm still (laughs)
1: working on the surf lingo to be honest so yeah
0: Such a pleasure to be here with both of you. Thank you for taking some time out to chat with us. Um, Why don't we start with you, Brisa? Where are you uh, and how do you introduce yourself to the world?
1: Well, I am very lucky to be in Fiji at the moment. I'm currently living on Nomotu Island with my family. Um, But I was born and raised off the grid in Costa Rica. That's how I know Carlos, which is is such a a treat to be able to talk with him and you today. And um, I compete on the WSL World Championship Tour. And um, yeah, I'm just super psyched to be here right now.
0: Yeah, that's the funniest thing is like, here I am hosting this show and thinking I'm connecting people and I love using the podcast to connect people to our one shared ocean. And then I tried to set up this connection and you're like, oh, I know, Carlos, like, got it. We go way back. So, so Carlos, you have a long list of accomplishments. I mean, I guess maybe first, how do you know, how do you know each other? But, um, you know, you have an incredible list of accomplishments with Conservation International and your work inside of the Costa Rican government. So maybe a quick little bio on yourself as well.
2: Okay, good. Thanks, uh, Reza, and nice to see you, Prisa. I'm I'm the Minister of Environment and Energy from the Government of Costa Rica. I'm a environmentalist, I an environmentalist lawyer. I've been working on nature conservation for 35 years. This is my third term as a Minister of Environment, and um, before that, I I had a you know an opportunity to work in conservation, creating protected areas in Africa, South America, and Southeast Asia. So I've been around in this business uh, for quite some time. And uh, uh, many, many years ago, while we were exploring for waves in Costa Rica, you know, late 80s, mid-80s, exploring waves, uh, I found a pristine, beautiful rainforest site, beautiful right-handed waves. And I said, this is my place. This is where I need to you know, buy some land and eventually retire. And, you know, a few years after I began, you know, buying land and, and visiting the place, I met these two beautiful Hawaiians uh, that became my neighbors, so to speak. And those are Brisa's uh, parents. Uh, so uh, I knew Brisa when uh, since uh, she was very young and we share the same passion of, you know, nature conservation, clean oceans, uh, surfing. I've been surfing for 42 years. So I know her and I admire her career, and I I love uh, his parents. So there's a lot of very strong bonds uh, within ourselves, even though we haven't seen each other in a while.
0: That's so cool. Um, I just, I, I love that bond. It was so funny when she was like, we were chatting the other day, Bruce, and you were like, oh, I know Carlos, like, got it. And that's just, it was too funny. <laughs> Small world. Carlos, I'm going to expand upon your um, resume a little bit beyond your work with the Costa Rican government because I think uh, it's worth noting that, you know, in 2005, you won the first Global Ocean Conservation Award. Um, you've done work with some of the most notable conservation orgs in the world, um, received one of the first annual conservation leadership awards. I mean, you've really, you've been noted for your work in conservation. And I think that's relevant because, you know, we're talking about uh, a really big, important initiative that's coming up and the, the work that, Con- that Costa Rica has done so far is, is really incredible leadership. And so, I guess first, let's dive into why is that important I, I guess you know, um, like recently you've and I, I I highlight you here to talk about this because recently you've you've been in Costa Rica, Hawaii, and Fiji. these are some of those most biodiverse places in the world, so like what is your experience of living in places like that, and then maybe to Carlos, you know why is that important to protect
1: right, I just feel I think. I'm filled with gratitude that I was able to be brought up in a place in Matapalo, which was um, pretty much on the edge of Corcovado, which was one of the, I think National Geographic named it, the last biodiverse lowland rainforests in the world, which was um, incredible. And so we were pretty much living off the grid in the jungle, no electricity. And to really witness that, is just i think everyone should it's it's so important um, you know to be in nature and and to respect nature and i think that's what costa rica does and they found that incredible balance um, so i wanted to ask you carlos how did you guys find that the balance between ecology and the economy and the respect for for nature
2: good good, good question brisa a great first one. let me say let, first let me say that we need to understand that nature's underpin human well-being. We cannot live in a dead planet, even though it is so clear and so simple, seems like humans haven't connected the dot. And we live in a system that um, looks for unlimited growth and wealth without recognizing planetary boundaries. And we can be able to prosper as a society under a new ethic, an economic system that really recognizes not only the planetary limits and boundaries, but also that we should be centered in our effort on prosperity on people. You know, our economic model sometimes misses that it is in the well being of people that we promote development and economic activities. And at the end of the day, we have seen, you know, the, the outcome of this economic model is social inequity, 1% of the people has the wealth, 1% of the people has 80% of the wealth of this planet, and on the other side, that system is putting into limits the capacity of the planet to provide us with clean air, clean water, food, I mean, all the things that nature gives us. So going, going to your question, Brisa, When my father was born at the turn of the 20th century, Costa Rica was one of the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, very poor, very remote. Um, We didn't have oil and gas and gold and silver, which were basically the main economic um, uh, activities that many countries uh, exploded. And uh, we had an opportunity to heavily invest in education the first next year we will turn 200 years old costa ricas an independent nation 1821 we became independent and and the first great decision that costa Ricans took was the first head of state was a teacher as opposed to a military which is what we normally saw in most of the new countries when they became what they changed from colonies to countries and, and the military kind of rule and set the basis for a society. Costa Rica, on the contrary, invested in education, first, first out of state, a, a teacher. So we've been heavily investing for 100, almost 200 years in education. We abolished the army in 1949. All the resources that were used in defense were rechannel in uh, education. We created a social, free, universal healthcare care system in the 1940s with investing in good governance. It's a strong democracy. If you add all of those elements, education, heavy investment on education and health, create a strong democracy, people began uh, to prosper. Um, and um, Costa Ricans basically are middle-class people, very well-educated. So here's where we began to connect the dots with nature conservation in the 60s and 70s, deforestation and the loss of our forest was so high that Costa Ricans began to react and began to think on how do we protect our forests and ecosystems while we prosper in terms of, you know, material, intellectual, intellectual development. And we came with a few ideas. We were lucky. We had support by, by many nations that support us. But at the end of the day, we understood that nature can be a driver for economic growth. It can be a buffer for economic um, issues and problems. And we designed an economy that has been able to protect nature and use it as a driver. So my, my final point here as an answer to you, Brisa, Costa Rica became, in a matter of a couple of decades, stopped deforestation, doubled the size of the forest, while we tripled the size of our economy. The income per capita tripled, proving to ourselves and to the rest of the planet that we don't we don't need to destroy our forests and natural ecosystem to just have an economic prosperity. We learned that we can balance everything, and in the energies se- the sector, the same thing. We produce our energy, electric energy, without emissions. We don't burn we don't burn fossil fuels, which is the main source for uh, emissions that uh, carbon emissions that generates climate change. So we've been able to really understand that there's a right way to do things from the ethical and moral perspective, but as well from the economic point of view.
0: That's, that's fantastic. I mean, that's such a great history there for us. And, and Carlos, quickly, what is what is the current state of conservation in uh, percentage-wise in Costa Rica, both marine and terrestrial?
2: That's an excellent question because you're taking us to the most important issue of this conversation. <laughs> the scientific community there's, there's strong consensus by, by the scientific community that in the next 10 years, if we don't protect 30% of the planet, land and ocean, we may, lose, we may lose one million species. Not only that, but the loss of biodiversity is very different to the pandemic that we are confronted because the pandemic, you got a peak and then you kind of settle down things. When you're losing biodiversity, there there is no peak. There is no return point. If you pass that no return point, our future will be totally compromised. The future of Brisa will be totally compromised. You and I, we are on our way out, but Brisa and the young generation, they deserve a healthy planet. So I think that we need to understand that we have 10 years to really change things. And I'm very optimistic because we have the science, the technology, and even the financial resources to achieve that goal. So in that context, Costa Rica is pushing hard because we are in the middle of international negotiations within the Convention of Biological Diversity to set a goal, which is by 2030, we should protect fully protect 30% of the planet, land, and ocean. Where is Costa Rica standing? Today, Costa Rica has protected um, 52% of the country this is within 52
0: hang on i want to make sure we highlight that for people listening yeah, that's 52% 52. of the country yeah yeah 52% and, and to what degree of protection is i guess we can get into that in a second but i also want to know to what degree because there are varying degrees of protection as well
2: Yeah, that but is a very good question as well
0: of that 52 what percent is on land and what percent is in the ocean Oh, no,
2: this is just a ratio i haven't got into ocean the <laughs> sorry ratio. i'm grilling you already yeah, the ratio <laughs> we have 52 which is 30% on Formal protected areas. And another uh, 22 own private conservation. People are preserving forests and natural ecosystems because it makes sense, economic sense to them. This is where ecotourism is being developed. This is areas like where Brisa uh, live in, in southern Costa Rica, where people are conscious about conservation and conservation becomes a good option to destroying the forest and having cows in your farm. So And Costa Rica was very clever to design financial incentives for people who preserve the forest. So we put a tax on fossil fuels, which is a a pending item in the global agenda. We put a tax on fossil fuels. It generates $32 million. We at the Ministry of Environment. We gather those uh, $32 million, and we distribute them in the owners uh, of private forests for the carbon sequestration services they provide us. They give us a service. So we got 30% on government-run protected areas, 22% on private conservation. This is 52 total uh, country, and we are aiming to 60% by 2030. Why? Because it makes a lot of sense to us. A lot of economic sense. So we will, by 2030, we'll be 60% forest cover conservation in Costa Rica, and this will not compete with where we produce our food, where we produce our energy, and where we live. We got issues there, but I'm totally confident that we will be, it, it will be kind of, a, there, there's a groundswell, using our own very term, there's a groundswell behind this effort that is unstoppable. On on, on we'll get there 60%, and probably earlier than 2030, on the ocean. Or, uh, let me tell you a few things on the ocean. You, you tend to believe that Costa Rica is this little tiny country in the middle of Central America. You're wrong. Costa Rica is a big country because 92% of Costa Rica is oceans. This is the easy, the economic exclusive area. We got, we, we um, our neighbors are not just Panama, and Nicaragua. We are neighbors of Colom- Colombia and uh, Ecuador. Galapagos is uh, closer to Cocos than to Ecuador. We Hang have on. a huge so ocean. So, let's
0: explain that for our listeners. So, I mean, I've been to Costa Rica and I know and I, I've looked up the Cocos Islands. So, uh, you mentioned the Cocos Island, which is far offshore. How many miles offshore?
2: It is uh, 300 miles offshore. It's an oceanic island. It's right. The and it's close to Galapagos. Version. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, gotcha. that, that meant having an, an oceanic islands gave us 200 extra miles, meaning that 8% of the national territory is the land. The thing you see in the map, with tiny Costa Rica, that is 8% of our national territory, which this is very important. We need to break this mental barrier and really understand that a nation is composed of land and ocean, and you need to administrate both. Costa Rica is 92% oceans. That meant that we haven't done a lot on the ocean because we are a lot of, Coffee growers, hillbillies. We we grew up in the highlands of Costa Rica growing coffee. We're a lot of a bunch of hillbillies living here in the highlands. We never saw the ocean as part of our national pride and values. So we only have protected two percent of the ocean, as opposed to fifty-two percent of the land. Our task is to go from two percent to thirty percent by twenty thirty. So, but it will, it will be extremely, extremely complex and difficult because the fishing sector, like everywhere in the planet, is very concerned of us expanding marine protected areas and getting to the 30%. So here's where we put the science and the information in terms of if we don't have marine protected area, there won't be any fish to fish. Right. And this is the ongoing negotiation that we have with the fishing sector.
0: So, so I want to turn to Brisa because when you when you hear that, um, what does that make you think? I mean, you're someone who has grown up in the ocean. Um, you know, you're surfing all the time and now that probably expands your mind as you think about Hawaii, you think about Fiji, you think about the places that you're, you're stopping, you're going, wow, you, you like, I mean, just hearing Carlos explain that it's like, yeah, you think of these countries as small and yet actually their territory is really large and really important in the big picture. So what is it, what does that, how does that make you feel as someone who is spending so much time in the water in these places?
1: Right. I think. For a lot of people, you know, you think of conservation, like he was saying, a bunch on land, but we, (laughs) the ocean is massive and it's, it's something that we really need to do our part, especially for surfers and and other activities. And, um, you know, that whole, this whole campaign of, you know, striving for 30% for 2030, I think is, um, is incredible. And I, I think it's really going to, affect us positively in so many different ways for the future. And um, I wanted to, to ask you, Carlos, How? what are the activities that are kind of, you know, affecting the ocean at this point? And what can we do maybe, you know, as um, surfers or any people that are spending a lot of time in the ocean?
2: Okay, good. Well, there are three things that are evident that are Really damaging the oceanic e- ecosystems. One is what we call land-based pollution, and and, and definitely um, uh, pollution coming through freshwater sources, coming you know saltation and uh, toxic pollution coming from the agricultural sector, you know from the rivers down the basin into the ocean. I mean that that's a big problem. The other the other problem definitely and, and of course plastic is a major issue, we all know how serious it is, but I I tend to believe that the plastic issue is something that we humans will solve very easily in the next five years. As opposed to pollution, which is more complex, way more complex, land-based pollution, particularly coming from freshwater, you know, what we call from reach to reef, that kind of pollution is gonna be a more challenging plastic, they are on the way out, and, and I'm really glad, and uh, I will never, and I know that my grandkids will never see more plastic than
0: fish in the ocean, for sure.
2: Uh, that's the a, that's other a element, bold
0: claim, I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, that. I mean, that, that. that, that's that the kind of optimism happened. we need.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, that, that isn't their way out. And i you know, I'm a I'm rational optimistic. I base my, my optimism on science and facts and data. And, and everything is there. It's going to happen, probably even sooner than what we expected. The other element is definitely overfishing. And uh, overfishing is an irrational thing. And, and here's where the mind-land mindset works uh, very negatively to us. Because in most countries, we don't allow the harvesting of our wildlife uh, in the land as we allow it in the ocean. In many of our countries, we don't allow commercial harvesting of wildlife, but in the ocean, we do it without any consideration at all. This is, you know, the the faults or the gaps in our in terms of our mindset on how we should manage the land and how we should manage the ocean. So, the rational large-scale fishing, particularly on what we call the high seas, these are these are the oceans which are beyond national. Um, national jurisdiction. This, this is two-thirds of the ocean of this planet. There is no law. Well, there is the law of the sea, but that's not a real law. It's an international treaty. So everybody can do whatever they want in terms of harvesting, you know, fish or oil and gas and minerals out of the what we call the high seas. We need to set clear uh, regulation a clear global framework for how we uh, manage the high seas, which are the oceans beyond national jurisdiction.
0: And is that... Man, interject. So is that because you're concerned? I mean, there are a lot of reasons to do it, but are you concerned as Costa Rica? I mean, you are a nation that um, you're not far from Panama, the Panama Canal. You're seeing, you know, that's probably going to, as we see the extraction in the high seas increase, that could potentially have really harmful effects for Costa Rica, even though it's happening outside of your exclusive economic zone. Um, you know pollution is known to travel and with all that will come increased shipping and all that. So yeah, is that, that a that, concern for you in, in Costa Rica? Definitely. You know, definitely. Um,
2: whatever you do in the ocean has an impact uh, elsewhere. And, and remember uh, life came out of the ocean. <laughs> so there's a clear link in, in the health of our global oceans with our livelihoods. So that's thing. So the, the second element, Brisa, was overfishing. And, and here, ignorance and greedness. is how you say greedness. greediness? Gre- greediness? Greediness. <laughs> greediness? You know, you, I want a lot of things for myself, Greed, greediness. is working negatively, ignorance and greediness. We are in the middle of that. So we need to use the science. We need to sell rules for what happens in the high seas. Uh, we need to increase dramatically marine protected areas that will give us you know a a a replenishment service for having more fish in the ocean and the third element which is complex is, is climate change climate change is impacted uh the very large scale uh natural ecosystems and you know you're a surfer uh, you serve reef breaks you you see what is happening to the reefs in indonesia in the caribbean elsewhere we with, with the bleaching of uh, the coral reefs is something very serious we're losing the biodiversity of our reefs and as you lose the biodiversity of our reefs the livelihood of local communities will be threatened so climate change uh, threatens local communities in two ways one is you know, your food security on one side and on the other side sea rise level uh, they're rising
0: um which could affect or- surf breaks To point Uh, blank, it will affect the surf breaks definitely. Beach breaks and reefs and points. I mean, is is that something you're concerned about? Like, you know, Carlos's surf career. No offense, buddy, but your career. You know, you're in the later stages of your surfing career. I'm I'm middle aged, firmly middle aged. As much as I hate to admit it, you have a long surfing career ahead of you. You could be really seeing in your lifetime changes to some of your favorite breaks. Does that concern you? Whether it's Fiji or Hawaii or Costa Rica.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, But I think that's also a little, you know, selfish of me just to think about, I think, that whole part of just having an effect the surf breaks, but I think it's just a whole of what it's going to affect. And, um, but I wanted to ask also, as far as I think there's been a lot of, I think, support from Costa Rica, as far as you know, the whole um, conservation side. But and I think that's what makes it so special as a country, but how, um, how do you think they will have, um, take on that um, support or that impact for conserving the ocean in Costa Rica?
2: Okay, well, a couple of things here, Bisa. One, you know us very well, and we, our society, developed in the highlands of the Central Valley. So the access to the ocean was relatively recent. And we live here in the highlands because these are very fertile grounds. We grew up coffee. There are no tropical diseases here. You know, in my grandfather's days, if you go to the tropics, to the coast, your life will be threatened by, you know, tropical diseases. All Costa Ricans grew up here in our culture. It's totally an inland culture. So in order to be able to do, and that is why we have done so well on the land conservation as opposed to, to the ocean conservation because we gave the back to the ocean always as a society and as a nation. It is not until now that we have educational programs and a, an enough a approach to be able to educate our young kids based on the understanding that we are an oceanic island. You you live in Fiji, no? Oh,
1: well, part okay. time. I'm- Homeless nomad. Well, we, Costa, <laughs>
2: she lives out of believer, a board bag. Believe it or not, Costa Rica looks more like Fiji than to Mexico and Colombia. Why? Because we are an Oceanic Island. 92% of our national territory is ocean. So that's what we need to really do. Do the leap forward in terms of positioning Costa Rica in the right context. We are an Oceanic Island a nation. We got, and as we educate our kids and do a lot of science, particularly we need to do a lot of uh, marine la- spatial planning, really understanding what we have there, how the ecosystems work, the migratory roots of the fish, and many other things that we have already done that in the land. And we, based on that science and data, we took decision and generate policies. We need to do the same thing in the ocean.
0: So, so Carlos, with that and kind of on our, our last question, and uh, you know, this maybe touches on Brisa's sort of experience in Fiji, um, do you think that there's opportunity as you create places in Costa Rica that are off limits to extraction, do you think that's going to garner sort of um, more tourism? Uh, for Costa Rica, for people who want to come see new marine protected areas and, and kind of build that portion? I mean, already it's a tourist destination, but is there a possibility that that creates more tourism? And, and thinking about basically some of the places you travel to, I mean, almost their entire economy depends on that surf tourism. And um, I'm curious if you think that that's kind of a good sustainable model for other countries to think about creating protected areas. Either one of you, really. I mean, I just think it, as as we move away from fishing and extraction to you know, more of a, hey, come look at this place without extracting, but there's still dollars that are coming into Costa Rica, which is important for those local people.
1: Right. I think, like I mentioned before, um, I think Costa Rica is such a big inspiration to the rest of the world as they found the magic key to where they are, you know, thriving in their economy, but also, um, you know, loving mother nature and respecting and conserving it and they they found this this balance and so i remember when i grew up in Monte paulo my mom worked at La Parios, which was an eco lodge and um, most of the the land that the the hotel was on it was all protected and you know it's just this amazing this amazing balance of you know how can we make this everywhere in the world right where we have um, places where we're protecting, but this is also bringing, you know, in money for the country and for that country to be successful. And I, Carlos, how do you think that, how, how, how have you guys been successful in that you think?
2: Well, I think you, you really gave us a very good example on how, you know, the national policies, uh, uh, in conjunction with the innovative approach with, with the private sector, we were able to generate, you know, small businesses associated to nature conservation. And ecotourism is an is an excellent example. You know, the the lodge that your mother worked. The first time I I, I, I visited Mata in 1981, that was a cattle ranch. Your mother was working there in the 2000, in the middle of a rainforest. Nobody knew that that property was totally deforested. 25 years before, and there was a cattle activity. Why? Because that was what made economic sense. But because of the different government policies, uh, all of a sudden, it didn't make a lot of sense to keep on having cows with a high environmental cost. It made sense to restore the land and protect it. I remember very, very well that farm, which was full of cows. Now it's full of trees and wildlife.
0: And Carlos, was that part of your Payment for Economic Services program? Yeah, that, that is totally correct. So maybe, because we're running out of time, could you quickly just explain that? Okay. So,
2: Costa Ricans, we ask the very simple question. Everybody needs to make this question to themselves. Why do we clear the forest? Why do we deforestate the tropical forest? Because we all know it's very important. Why? Because there is no an economic incentive to keep it and people need to make an income. If you're a big corporation or a small farmer, you you need to feed your kids, you need to have an income. And if keeping the forest is not an option, you will burn it down sooner or later. So when we began to understand the the drivers and the economic um, um, uh, failures, we began to address that by making it profitable. So if you keep your forest, we will pay you uh, for the carbon, water, and biodiversity services you provide to the, to the rest of the society. Where does the money come from? From those who are being benefited in the country uh, for keeping those forests. So I, I use my car, I fill up the tank with gasoline, you know, I emit emissions, but there's somebody who's upsetting those emissions. So I should pay that person for the carbon sequestration services he provides a very innovative approach that costa rica developed as a matter of fact that that approach is being used now worldwide uh on how to deal with the market failure that's a you know a, a a brand that came this idea became a brand on how we should do things so if all of a sudden keeping your forest because you're being paid for carbon sequestration is is higher than the cost of opportunity of having cows you immediately dedicate your land to conservation and eventually ecotourism became big so you got the carbon incentives the ecotourism and if you see what the income is uh, as opposed to having cows or subsistence agriculture these other frameworks really uh, attract more people
0: that's amazing i I think it's such a smart mechanism that you created and you know we're always we're, we're all about smart mechanisms and smart policy and so as you know The WSL, WSL Pure, and a bunch of coalition partners are advocating for 30 by 30. And this this goes way back to when we met at the climate conference um, with the Minister of Belgium and the NRDC last year. Um, and they're really helping lead and, and drive a lot of this initiative as well. So you know that we're advocating for it. And so I guess, you know, with all this discussion, can we can we count on you to help lead Costa Rica to completely protect 30% of our ocean? Are are you, are you in? Because I know that Brissa's lined up. She's going to rally support from Ticos and people around the world to help sign our petition. So are you in, Carlos? Can we count on you? Uh, uh, totally,
2: totally for many reasons, but two very important reasons. One is we will have a good opportunity to really change the planet as we deal with the aftermath of COVID-19. And we need to really understand what that new normality means. And that new normality is a new contract with nature. Nature, we tend to believe that we are destroying the planet. And that is not correct. We're not destroying the planet. We're destroying our civilization. The planet will continue with us or without us. It's our choice. We have seen large animals, bigger and stronger than us, that modern Nature got rid of them. So we are like a flea in a dog for nature. When humans began messing around, <laughs> nature will kick us out, and nature will continue without or without us. So it's, it's up to us. It's our choice. And I think that we have chosen to really be an important species in this planet. And we need to generate a new contract with modern nature. She can, she's very strong, and she didn't care much about humans because she will continue without us. So it's a matter of choice. We got 10 years to really work together and be able to turn things in a very different manner. I think that Risa's generation deserves to receive a planet like we receive it from our fathers and uh, I'm very optimistic that we will do the leap uh, forward in terms of what we ambition
1: right and i'm i'm so inspired to you know um, educate my, educate myself more and i'm i'm so um you know honored and happy that i i got to understand more of what's exactly happening but how can like I don't know, me as a surfer, like other, other surfers and other people that, you know, spend their life in the ocean and that's their love. Like, what can we, what can we do? You think.
0: And how okay. can they help you, Carlos? Cause you're leading. So how can we support Like, you know, how can we, so, raise, how can we raise the awareness for you?
1: So be,
2: being, uh, being able to have the testimony of people as important as you, Brisa, that, that can really tell your story. You grew up in the rainforest, now you're a professional surfer. You're concerned about where you're looking. You, during your lifespan, you've seen changes, very important changes. If you're able to tell the story and bring together people, uh, I, I think that this is the moment for change. And the change can go in the wrong direction, as we are seeing today on what is going on, on in the US and many other countries. We got a great opportunity. And we need, and, and we need the young generation to empower themselves in this uh, need for change. And again, you know, reason when we were in in the climate summit, we we saw the youth movement very strong. So we need the youth uh, of this planet to become leaders and really pinpoint my generation and tell them that we shouldn't compromise their future. So I, I think telling your story is a very very strong compelling you know element that you need to really uh, spread and share with everybody in this planet
0: i think that's that's a a great call um you know i definitely felt that youth energy at the climate summit and um you know i did i did appreciate that optimism when when we were in the room there with dr sylvia Earle and john kerry stopping by and the minister of belgium i mean we have some really powerful influential voices who are advocating for 30 by 30 but where does where does all this currently stand just to maybe on a final note like you know, we're, we're all going to lead on this campaign. We're going to petition. We're going to bring that to the UN Convention on Biodiversity. We're going to write letters. We're going to activate the surf community. We've got the sailing community on board. We really want to push. You know, uh, wh- where does it stand at the international level? And, and and is that the best way we can advocate and, and, and empower you to do this work? Because um, it's it's important that we get the right countries on board, right? At the UN level, we need everybody on board. Yeah,
2: that, that is correct. And, and you know, is is one it is a moral imperative we need to put it in in that very specific context it's a moral imperative uh and, and on the second on my second point it does make economic sense i mean saving the planet is, is the best economic sounds like good business we, <laughs> well i we need you know in, in my job i need to engage a lot with the business community and let them understand that there's there's a world beyond the next trimester Uh, and and the next, uh, you know, tax uh, payment, you know, period. You know, there's so much, everything is so much compressed in short-term decision that we're losing the focus on on the long-term. So uh, I think those two elements are are great. And once more, being able to make um, uh, the youth uh, have an access to decision-making and processes, it, it is extremely important.
0: I think that's awesome. Brisa, any final questions or, or Carlos? Any, we've kind of grilled you. Do you have any questions for us? <laughs> and they can't be surf lessons. This is not a free surf lesson from Brisa for you, okay?
1: okay. He is actually a major charger, I must say. I remember when he'd go down in Apollo and he would absolutely charge Choncho. Do you remember that? Even oh, yeah, dad well, was pulling course. back on some and you were just going. My dad was telling me. So he's an incredible well, surfer.
2: <laughs> we We are we're putting all our bets, uh, for Brisa to become the first world champion from Costa Rica. No doubt about that. <laughs>
0: Love it. Love it. Well, thank you both so much. Um, unless you have any other final closing remarks, um, this has been a real pleasure and an honor for me to sit in on it's essentially an old catch up and, you know, hopefully you two stay in touch and, um, we can help advocate for this, this conversa- conversa- oh, conversation, 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 uh, even more this year.
1: Definitely. Okay, good. I, Thank you. Be safe. <laughs> I'm honored to be here as well and um yeah, what you guys are doing is incredible and uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just honored to be in this conversation and um get to know more and I hope this, you know, inspires other people and to to sign the petition and, you know, do something so simple. So um yeah, you know, let's all come together and um save the place that we love most, the ocean.
0: I love it. Yes. Perfect Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: The biggest takeaway for me from this episode was the way that Carlos reframed Costa Rica as an ocean country with 92% of its overall territory in the ocean. I think that's just a great way to, to reframe the way we think about what habitat we need to maintain. What is our responsibility? Um, So it was a real honor to have Carlos on the show. He really, truly is an incredible leader for the environment, has been doing this work for years and um, is engaged with a number of different nonprofit organizations. So thank you again, Carlos, for being on the show, for being such a strong leader for the ocean uh, and the planet in general. And we really appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate your commitment to get Costa Rica up to 30 by 30. Um, of course, thanks to Brissa for joining us and for bringing the surface perspective and for being a voice for this and using your platform for this. It's truly important, and uh, we appreciate it. Finally, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes as usual. There are going to be a lot this week, and we really encourage you to dig in. Um, we also send these links out in our newsletter from WSL Pure. You can subscribe at WSL and um, we send it out once a month and try to keep you up to speed with what's going on. Um, Find us on uh, social media at WCL Pure, or if you want to shoot us an email, oneocean at WCLPure.org. We really appreciate the kind notes lately, um, supporting and encouraging the work that we've been doing and leaning into some of these issues that maybe are a little outside of our normal remit. So thank you to everyone. We really appreciate it. Until next time, really hope that you're doing the work, learning, unlearning, listening, supporting, donating, and of course, voting. All right. See you next week.